I'm going to try this morning to share with you things that I learned in India um, in a way that's not going to make you feel bad for living in America. It's kind of hard to do. Um, India is, well, let me just start with this. In the Bible, when it talks about reaching all the people in the world, the Bible uses a word um, that literally means people group. What that means is our job as Christians is not to evangelize every country, but our job is to evangelize every people group that's represented in every country. There are 6,000 people groups in the world. 2,000 of those people groups have heard about Jesus Christ. 4,000 have not. So two-thirds of all the people groups in the world have never even one time heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And half of those people groups live in India. 2,000 people groups live in India that have never heard about Jesus Christ. And so, you know, to get to go somewhere like India is pretty cool because you know you're going to get to see people that um, it's not a Christian nation. It's less than 1% of the population there is Christian. 88% is Hindu. The rest is Muslim. Um, most of the people that are Christians in India live in the southern part of India. And so we go to the northern part. We go to Delhi. Very few people there know about Jesus Christ. And if they do know about Jesus Christ, he's just one of the many gods that they believe in. So our task is to go to give medical care, to reach people that don't know about the hope we have, and to share with them some kind of hope. And here's lessons I learned. You know, how many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Raise your hand. You know, when you go on a mission trip, you learn more than you give, right? So here's what I learned. Three things. Um, if you've got a sheet, you can write these down. Number one, obeying the voice of Jesus comes before enjoying the victory of Jesus. Obeying the voice of Jesus comes before enjoying the victory of Jesus. When I was preparing, I wanted to say, that the most important thing is to hear the voice of Jesus. And some of us would probably pay a lot of money if we could actually hear God, wouldn't we? I'm going to submit something to you. I think we already do hear God. I think the important issue is not can we hear him, but will we do what we hear him say? So here's how I learned this lesson. I knew when I got on the plane to go to India that I was going to get to... Um, lead worship. I was going to get to maybe do some preaching. And so the missionary that we go, the pastor we go to help, his name is Koshi Baby, which is a really funny name here, but over there, Baby is like Smith. So everybody's last name is Baby, which means Justin Bieber should absolutely go sing there all the time, right? Like, hey, baby, 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 yeah, you know. So his name is Koshi Baby. He's a brilliant man. His wife is even smarter than he is. They both have doctorates. They are from, in India, there's, there used to be a caste system, and so if there, when there's a caste system, you want to be at the top. They were in the top, and they left all that to go and reach the poor in India. And so um, we go hang out with them. They have 16 churches. Uh, 3,000 children a day come to their school. They feed those children. They teach those children, and they try to reach those children's families for Christ. And so I got to go preach in this place called the Rag Picker Slum 
And the rag pickers are the very bottom of society in India. And so I knew I was going to preach to the rag pickers, the rag picker slum, the church that Koshi had there. And so I kind of go over there preparing to talk to Christians, right? Because you're going to church. And so as I'm preparing to go and I'm preparing for the message, I knew without a doubt that the Lord spoke to me. And here's what he said. Hey, Paul, tomorrow morning when you get up and you go share with these guys, just get up and tell them that I see them. Okay, I can do that. He said, no, no, don't just tell them that I see them. Tell them that I see them from the cross. Okay, like, you know, God, this is a Hindu country, right? Yeah, I do. And by the way, since it's a Hindu country, tell them that the God who sees them is not a Hindu God. Awesome, God, because you know there's prisons here, right? <laughs> so I want you to know something. Even as a pastor... The issue is not hearing God. The issue is, will we obey God? Obeying the voice of Jesus comes before enjoying the victory of Jesus. So I go and I'm preaching, and I tell them everything that God told me to tell them. And then when we're done, it was their miracle Sunday. So they all come up to get prayer, and we pray for them. And when the service is totally done, and all the kids have been, you know, they were with somebody else in another room um, from our team. When they're finished, and we're talking to the pastor I said, so, Pastor, tell me, like, what's the deal with the church? You know, it's kind of down today. They had, like, 17 adults. There were 50 kids. I said, what's the makeup of your church? And he said, oh, oh, that's easy. Uh, all Hindu. We don't understand that in America, right? Because I know that we do sometimes go to church and not believe what they believe. Okay, a lot, probably. And some people go to church that aren't Christians. But... For the most part, if there's, I don't know, 80 of us in here, we're not all non-Christian. So I get up in a church in India expecting to be talking to Christians, deliver a message of salvation to them, not understanding why. And when it's all said and done, I find out from the pastor that every last one of them, except for him and the guy that led worship, were Hindu. Oh, oh, that's when you kind of go, wow, God, like, you're a lot smarter than I thought you were. You actually knew what you were doing. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Found out, as you're turning there, I found out that the lady who was working with the children from our team also felt led by God to share salvation with them. Not knowing that she was talking to a room of 50 Hindu children who were going to go back to their Hindu parents and share what they learned at church. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23 say this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Here's words that we never want to hear. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. It's not enough to hear his voice. We have to obey. And God, in that one, in two verses, he equates not obeying with rejecting him. 
Now, if I gave an altar call right now and said, all that want to reject God, stand to your feet, none of us are taking that offer. But if we walk out the door in our culture and we hear the voice of God and don't obey it, he just said, that's what we did. We've rejected him. And he says, because you rejected my word, because you heard my word and didn't obey it, I reject you. Our responsibility, jot down Hebrews 3.7. Our responsibility is to not harden our hearts. Hebrews 3.7 says this, Today, when you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. So here's my deal with you guys. Here's what I learned. First lesson in India. I want to stay soft in my heart. The last thing I want to do is go to another culture and say to God stuff like this. Look, you called me because I'm good. You put me on a plane to come over here because I've got what they need. I'm the man. I know what I'm going to talk about. I want to hear him speak. I want to hear his voice clearly say, I know you thought about that, but now go do this. And when I hear it, I don't want to hesitate. I just want to obey the voice of God. In your life right now, there are things that you need victory for. You need victory in your life right now. And I'm telling you, you'll ne we can sing victory in Jesus, although I don't know if we ever will here. Not that it's a bad song, but probably not going to happen. We could sing it all day long, but we don't get to live the victory in Jesus if we don't obey the voice of Jesus. Second lesson I learned. Signs and wonders follow believers so that believing can follow signs and wonders. I'll say it again slow because it has multi-syllable words. Here we go. Signs and wonders follow believers so that believing can follow signs and wonders. I don't want to take time today to do some exhaustive study on signs and wonders in the Bible, but we will soon. But let me just finish this lesson I learned that Sunday morning. When the pastor told me that basically 99% of his church was Hindu, I asked the obvious American pastor question, then why do they come here? And here's what he said. Because they've all been healed. I said, I'm sorry, could you say that again? What? He said, they've all been healed. He said, we have Miracle Sundays once a month. They've all come and been healed. And that's why they come back. It's like, but they're not even Christians. I know. And it suddenly dawned on me how backwards we are here in America. Mark 16, 7 I'm sorry, Mark 16, 17, and 18 says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Let me submit this to you. I'm going to read it to you. I don't want to mess it up. American, the American flavor of Christianity looks for signs to validate our choice to follow Jesus. But the biblical role of signs is to validate his worthiness of being followed. Let me just unpack that real quick. In India, Hindus believe in all kinds of gods. Koshi Baby's church is next to a Hindu temple. The Hindu priest in that temple, when people come to his temple and say, my body's hurt and I, I need a healing, you know what he does? He says, go see Koshi Baby. 
because he knows that his gods can't pull that off. And so Hindus go to Koshi Baby, he prays for them, and guess what happens? They get healed. And they start saying things like, whoa, your God did that? Because my millions of gods couldn't pull that off. And they start considering Jesus. They don't fall on their knees. They don't fill out a card. They don't sing just as I am in the, in the language of Hindi. They just start considering following Jesus because they see right away that he's a God like no other God. Now come over to America. What do we do? We attend church. We don't always like it. We're pretty sure we're supposed to. We make a decision to follow Jesus, and if we're honest, we get bored. And we start saying to God things like this, would you please perform a sign for me? Anything, God, something just to show me that I made the right choice when I chose to follow you. And we spend our entire Christian life following signs when they're supposed to follow us. And in India, they do. In India, they follow believers. The last time I was in India, Koshi Baby took me away from where the medical team was doing their medical stuff and took me back into this really small home of a Hindu priest who asked that the American pastor would come and pray for him to be healed. I don't know what you would have done in that moment, but I wet my pants. I was like, Koshi, I think you should pray, and I'll just stand behind you and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. <laughs> they are in a culture they trust, they totally believe that the Christian God is a God of signs and wonders and power. I want to bring that to our culture. I don't, listen, you know, there's a, um, a verse, I think it's Mark 16, 4, you can just jot that down, where Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. The word adulterous there literally means faithlessness. So it means that we're not a believing generation. It means that when we ask him for a sign, it's because we don't believe. But we should believe. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. So what did Jesus say? I'm not going to give them a sign except for one, the sign of Jonah. And what is the sign of Jonah? He was in the belly of the well for three days. He came out. Okay, it was a great fish, whatever, so let's go with the cod. A really big one, right? And what was Jesus? In the tomb for three days. So the sign of Jonah is the resurrection. I'm going to say this to you, and you might not like me. You might not want to come back. That's cool. But there's only one sign that we need, and it's the resurrection. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if the resurrection didn't take place, we have no faith. So if I believe in the resurrection, if I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm constantly saying things to him like this, please, 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 please work a sign in my life. I'm going to just say it. You're not a Christian. There's no way. You might be religious, but you're not a follower of Christ. Because followers of Christ don't need signs. They have a Savior. And signs follow them as they follow him. All right. Let's move on before you stone me. Third lesson. 
I mean, I thought hard about this one. Do you want me to tell you what I almost put down before I put down what I put down? Wow, that was confusing, and I said it. Um, I wanted to put down this, and maybe you can jot this in the margin of your paper. Because Satan, because our enemy is active in other cultures, we need to be active in other cultures too. Um, but here's what I put down. Resisting Satan here helps them resist him there. Sounds a little bit bizarre, so here's the verse for it. Go ahead and turn to it. We'll unpack it in a minute. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. By the way, I, just said, I know I just said some really harsh things there. Um, I'm really glad you come. And I'm in a great mood today because the Wolfpack just obliterated the Tar Heels yesterday. I love that game. And I wore, I wore Carolina blue today because I'm okay with that because we just killed y'all. But I really, we are so thrilled that you're here. Um, and here's what you'll learn about the gathering. We are so passionate about people, but we're really passionate about the truth of Christ in the Word and how that relates to people. Okay, so I, I can guarantee you this, whether it's me speaking here, whether it's Phil, whether it's somebody we bring in to speak, you can always trust that we will tell you absolutely what we believe the Bible says. Um, and then we'll just let you deal with it on your own. So you got the whole afternoon to work out the fact that I just said you might not be saved because the Panthers aren't playing today. So you got nothing to do but just go home and fall before the Lord and say, oh, God, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian because of what he just said. All right. The Bible also says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Okay. All right. Let's go on to the third point. Here we go. Resisting Satan here helps them resist him there. I've got to tell you what happened. One last story, and then we'll, um, I'll explain that statement. My Sunday there was like this. Sunday morning, help lead worship, preach in the rag picker slum. That's the Hindu church. Find out after, at the end of that service, as we're walking out to go eat lunch at 2 o'clock, that I'm going to go back and lead worship and speak at a youth service at 4 o'clock. Awesome. So my two hours at lunch was like this. God! What do you want me to say? Please tell me something. And he did. It's just cool. And then when that was over, Koshi Baby is over a bunch of churches in his area. And one of those churches was having some trouble. And so he was going to go out to kind of like, you know, lead the meeting where they talked about the trouble at the church. And I don't know how you are, but when I'm, you know, because it's easy in America to kind of rag churches. But when I think of other countries and other Christians, I just kind of romanticize it a little bit. Like, they're all really strong Christians, right? So there's never any problems in those churches at all. So when I heard that there was a church that was having a problem, I was like, can I go? He's like, absolutely. So, so we went with him, and we walk into this service, and over there, it's not like here, you know, everybody's on the floor, the men are on one side, the women are on the other side. They're all singing in Hindi, and there's tambourines going. This is crazy. It's really loud. And then because we're the only white guys in the room, they're like, y'all come sit up on the platform. Okay, so we sit up on the platform, and then when they're done singing, you know, I'm on the, the, the very back row, and then there's a row in front with, like, the pastors, and then there's the pulpit, and then there's the people. So I'm sitting there hanging out. They asked us to come up and welcome everybody, so I go up, and I'm, it's good to be with you guys, and, you know, we just, I just want to yeah, give you the peace of the Lord here in this place. And then Dr. Shank, who kind of orchestrates the whole trip, he gets up and preaches fantastic message about like just being a servant and laying your rights down 
And I'm watching these people. It's an English-speaking church. And so they're like, they're nodding. They're all into the message, you know. And I'm like, this is really cool. I don't know what's wrong with this church. This is a great church. And then Koshi Baby gets up, starts talking in Hindi. And you're kind of sitting there going, I don't know what he's saying, but they're not really nodding anymore. And at one point, he said something like, and I'm watching this crowd, and as one person, it's like being in a movie in slow motion, they just kind of rose up from where they were sitting, and they just pointed their hands at him and just started yelling in Hindi. And it was like, and I turned to the guy next to me. I was like, if they had guns, he would be dead. I mean, they were hot. And he's really humble man. He's about this tall. And he turned to us in that moment and said, we can go now. <laughs> and so we stood up and we stepped off the platform. And literally, it took us an hour and a half to move from where I am now to that door. Because they blocked our path. They would not let us leave. And it's all in Hindi. And you're like, God, I wish I knew what they were saying. You know, <laughs> this is good. Here's what I found out. That there was a group of people in that church that didn't like the way he pastored. The pastor had been there for 25 years. And he had made some decisions that were bad decisions. And so they were, their answer was, let's just kick him out. And he was like, I'm not leaving. And so they've been asking for somebody to come and help them. So Koshi shows up a year after they've been asking. So there's lots of frustration. Everybody comes to figure it out. But what they didn't know was people that were against the pastor had actually gone to a meeting with Koshi and some other leaders had talked for four hours and had come up with a solution to the problem. And so what Koshi said that made them mad was he stands in front of them and he says this, I'm here today with the authority to do one thing. Read the solution to your problems. We're not going to discuss it. If you have a problem, write it on a sheet of paper, give it to me, and I'll take it back to our leaders and we'll discuss it. And they went, no, we want to discuss it now. And he went, no. I'm not discussing it. If you want to discuss it, I'm not reading it. Well, then don't read it. We can go now. <laughs> and I realized an hour and a half of watching people literally bring shame to the cause of Christ in another language, that there's an enemy in every culture. He's alive and well, even in India. He was having his way with the people in that church. I'm on the side talking to teenagers saying, like they speak English. I'm like, listen, um, are your parents here? And they're going, they're the ones yelling. I said, look, you do know that this is not how church is supposed to be, right? And they're like, yeah, we know. Like a whole generation is just going to like, we don't want any of this. You know, I just never thought I'd see that in India. Because I just thought all people in India just were, if they're Christians, they're sold out. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, listen to this. Be self-controlled and alert. That's a great word for some of you right now. Because it's a little bit warm in here. You're kind of starting to, you know, I wish I had more coffee. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Now, we're going to stop there because that's usually where we stop. So here's what we've learned to this point in those two verses, okay? One, we have an enemy, right? Two, he's active. He's prowling around. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but he's not a lion. 
It says he's like a lion, but he's not. He's not a lion. He's like a lion. We're told to resist him and to stand firm. But here's what I want you to get. Here's why we're supposed to resist him and stand firm. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The worst thing that we can do for the believers in India is to stop resisting Satan here. Because they have the same scriptures we do. Because there's a pastor in their land right now that's standing up saying, keep resisting Satan because the churches in America are resisting Satan. You ever played um, sports and you were a really good player on your team and you were on a team of people that never tried? Didn't you just want to at some point like you'd break the huddle and you're walking towards the line of scrimmage and you want to say, wait a second, hold on, hold on. Go back to the huddle a second. And you get back in the huddle and go, dude, I'm going to kick your butt if you don't start playing. Because I'm tired of carrying this team. I don't want India carrying me. I don't want those believers carrying me. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to not resist Satan here and have them fight the fight over there. We're supposed to, according to this scripture, when we resist the devil, when we stand firm, it's not just for our culture. It's for our brothers all throughout the world. Our fight against Satan here helps them resist him there. Let's not be the weak link in the worldwide fight against our, our enemy. And I'm going to tell you right now, America, look at the person next to you. Just look at them real close. It's okay. Smell them if you need to. I mean, I love you enough to tell you this. As far as Christianity goes in the world, we are the weak link. We are. The, the church, I don't know if you remember in these pictures, um, I'm not going to pull it back up, but I took a couple of pictures that they're really dark and there's like green walls and their paint's chipped and there's a blackboard in there. That's a church that's in a very, very poor rag picker slum. This is the slum where families get up every day and everybody in the family goes outside and picks up trash for 10 hours. And when they bring all that trash back together, after 10 hours for everybody during the day, they sell that trash for 2 to $4 a day. Their family brings in 2 to $4 a day. It's a totally Hindu slum. And I met a pastor there who planted his church seven months ago, about the same time we started working on the gathering. He's grown his congregation from 1 to 25. In that picture, in that little storage shed, they put 25 people in there every Sunday for church, and every day they put 70 children. 70. Can you imagine as an elementary teacher, if you've, if you've ever taught small children, 70 kids in an area that's about as big as from me to the bathrooms and half this size? They are resisting Satan, and we stand with them when we resist him here. Our fight gives them hope in theirs. And here's our promise, verse 10. If we're faithful, if we're faithful to resist Satan here so that we help them resist him there, if we're faithful to stand strong, to, to stand firm, here's what verse 10, this is our promise. It says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast 
Now, some of you would like to be firm. You're kind of like sucking your stomach in because I said firm. Go ahead. Hit me now. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just glad nobody jumped up and did it, actually. You ever had your kids just hit you in the stomach when you're not prepared? You try to pull that off like you're strong. <laughs> awesome. That didn't hurt at all. <laughs> Sums up our Christian faith, doesn't it? We're getting hit all the time. We're not quite prepared for that. The Bible here says that's our promise. Man, if we resist him, if we, if we fight in a global fight against our enemy, that we will be made strong, firm, and steadfast by our God. This morning we're going to wrap up um, with communion. And here's why. Because communion is a reminder of how committed Jesus is to the promise I just read you. I don't like people that just talk and they never back it up. I, I've been guilty. All of us are guilty of that at some point. We promise things and we never do them. But if that happens on a regular basis, if you know people that promise you things and they never do them, do you stop listening at some point? Absolutely. And, and sometimes you'll even get to the point where you just, you just cut them off. They just go, hey, I don't want to hear anything you have to say because I don't believe a word of it. Jesus is not that way. When the Bible says that he's committed to making us strong and firm and steadfast, he proved it because he went to the cross and he was resurrected. He gave us the one sign that we needed to know that he is God, to follow him. And when we take communion, that's what we're doing. We're remembering that. And today when you come to me or you come to Jay or Larry's going to be in the back corner, I think with Victor, and they're going to serve communion when you come to us and you pinch off some of this bread and you dip it into the, the juice and you take it, look, I know it tastes like soggy bread. I get it. But it is a representation of a God who was so committed to the promise we just read that he went to death on a cross. And I don't ever want to forget that. God, forgive us as an American culture for forgetting that. And so this morning, how do we wrap this up? Because I'm totally inadequate to communicate to you what I see in India. And if you've, you know, those of you that have been on mission trips, you know. You come back, you show pictures, and you're just like, why weren't they moved? Because <laughs> they, they didn't go. You know what you're going to do at, at the gathering? You're going to go. You're not going to just hear us talk about it. You're going to get on a plane, and you're going to go. And you're going to see God working in other cultures. You're going to see an enemy active in other cultures. And you're going to come back even more committed to God making us firm, strong, and steadfast. He is 100% committed to you 